0: Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm Lee Holdsworth. I'm James Courtney. We're the
1: Forex Angels, and you're listening to the V8 Insiders.
2: It's
3: your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now here's your host, Craig Revell.
1: The championship changes. Can't put a sugarcoat this one. As does the track. Because they were just straight lining every, every chicane. And Lee Holsworth's confirmed at Stone Brothers Racing. I'm ready to win championship. It's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders.
4: You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best riders and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. This news update is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes.
1: Jamie Cup has retaken the lead of the V8 Supercar Series with an impressive performance across the weekend at the Gold Coast. All in all, fantastic weekend for us. Two poles, a win and a second. Uh, great championship points. We couldn't be happier. It was Cup's win on Saturday that really set up the weekend.
2: Our, our car was
1: fantastic. My international driver, Sebastian Bourdais, he's, uh, he's won here a couple of times with a champ car. Cup also took the armour oil money, with both pole positions, his international teammate sebastian Bourdais is the first winner of the Dam Welden Trophy, which was obviously moving the Frenchman.
2: It was very difficult, and uh, it always kind of takes its toll. You know, you're thinking, "Well, what if?" And you know, so I'm just glad things uh, went very well. It was a great show, uh, great event, great race, and uh, I really had a lot of fun in the car, but. Uh, You you can stop really thinking about this.
4: Mark
1: Winterbottom got his first win of the year in race 22 on Sunday with an impressive drive. The FPR driver finally finding some speed on the soft tyres which have been eluding him all season.
2: Bounce back with a win, do it the way we did and uh, that's a very, very special one for us. So um, absolutely over the moon, bring on the rest of the year.
1: For his international driver, Richard Lyons, it was his first V8 supercar win.
5: Yes, yeah, fantastic, you know, beautiful Weller. Uh, we couldn't ask for more, uh, double podium, two surfboards for myself, um, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: The championship series now stands with Jamie Wing Cup. on 2,517 points, he's got 25 penalty points. Craig Lowndes. On 2,374 points. Shane Van Gisbergen on 2,009 points. He's lost 75 points across the year. Mark Winterbottom is on 1,966 with 25 demerit points in that. Garth Tander on 1,956. Will Davison on 1,847. Rick Kelly on 1,845 with 25 demerit points. Lee Hulsworth on 1,590. He's lost 50 points this year. Alex Davison's on 15.35 in ninth position, whilst Jansen Bright rounds out the top 10 on 15.19, and he's also lost 25 points this year. Greg Lowndes summed up what was a very disappointing weekend. So It's sort of be for us, a bit of a shit of a weekend, really. Um... You, know, you can't, you uh, can't put a sugarcoat this one. Lee Holdsworth has confirmed he'll be moving to Stone Brothers Racing in 2012 after eight years at Gary Rogers Motorsport. Lethal is looking forward to his move north.
0: I'm really excited about next year with SBR. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it feels like I've now got a chance to win a championship. You know, these guys know how to do it. Um, they've won three in a row and uh, they look like they're on the comeback. So it's a really good time to join the team and, I'm just really excited.
1: So what was the attraction for Lee who had a couple of different offers on the table to join Stone Brothers Racing Team?
0: They're smart guys they put together a neat car a safe car and Jimmy's very smart Ross is as well and um, I think that the team environment will suit me Um, the way they uh, you know the way they put the car together it seems you know I was looking towards the car of the future and what May lie ahead, not not so much about next year. And looks like they got some things, com- good things coming on. And you know, like I said, they know how to put a car together, so I'm sure they'll be fine for the car of the future. And um, you know, it's only a, only a year away now, so um, you need to look further down the track at winning championships as well. Making the move after so many years is quite a big step. Six years at Gary's and um, I've enjoyed my time there, and it's been um, a real really good challenge and a great place to start. And now I feel like you know, I've been trained up to the point now where I'm, I'm ready to win championships. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful what, for what Gary's put forward to me. And um, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. But uh, now I think it's time to move on.
1: Ross Stone talked about the new approach that FPR will be taking in the future.
5: Yeah, no, we're really looking forward to it. Um, Jimmy and I, uh, you know, w- we done really well as a team, won some championships in a row. And um, and then, you know, you change things around and stuff. But we feel we're putting everything in place that we can win another couple of championships, and that's our target. Why did Stone choose lethal? He is an important ingredient, but I think it's the whole thing. The fit is good, obviously the talent to drive it, and uh, I'm sure that, um, you know, that we do our job properly any result as possible he's
1: confident that the team is heading now in the right direction
5: i I just feel a momentum myself and the team and i think most of the guys in the team do too so i think the timing's perfect and uh, ready just to kick on and and get on with the job and uh, basically bring on clips all next year Um, we still got races to do this year obviously which lee will do for grm and and uh and we'll do our best that we can but um Next year will be the beginning of something big.
1: Alex Davison's future is still up in the air. There's rumours that he might replace Holesworth over at Gary Rogers Motorsport. This weekend marked the moving tribute to the fallen IndyCar star Dan Weldon.
3: Dan Weldon was to be racing here with us this weekend at the Armourall Gold Coast 600. Unfortunately his life was cut tragically short.
4: Winning is driving into a pit lane. Winning is coming home. Winning is the cake. Victory is the icing. Director, the whole family hurts and draws together to support each other.
1: Alex Tagliani spoke about what drivers are trying to achieve through the new Lionheart movement. You
2: create a movement um, of that size uh you know it raised the awareness you know around the world and for uh what we're trying to do as drivers in the u.s uh especially with the indycar drivers to raise uh, money by uh, auctioning off like various different items and up to today we receive over 500 items uh to auction off um it helps and uh so that's why i was uh you know very appreciative uh, of the series the sponsors the teams the drivers Uh, that have um, gone on with with the movement and and put all these stickers and memories of them.
1: In other news now, Paul Morris is contemplating his future. The outspoken team owner could look to sell off one of his two licenses if the price is right. It is believed that both Walkinshaw Performance and Ford Performance Racing are prospective buyers for the wreck. Todd Kelly has taken over from Ross Stone on the V8 Supercar Commission. Kelly has been an alternate commissioner over the past year. The racing across the weekend at the Gold Coast was plagued with controversy over the electronic shortcutting system and bollards that were put in number of the chicanes. Andy Prilu spoke about his frustration in the Team Vodafone garage over what he perceived as inconsistencies.
6: Well, the championship is extremely professional, and um, you know all the teams and, and the organisation is extremely professional. But um, what happened today, I, I just can't get my head around. I'll have to think about it and uh, come to terms with what, what I saw there because, you know, safety has to be paramount in this championship, especially on a street track. And when you're arriving at chicanes, when the corner's changing at like 40 or 50 k's an hour difference in speed, then there's obviously a danger, uh, you know, in that, a danger factor in that as well. So basically what I can't get my head around is, you know, we're not allowed to put two wheels over the kerb at the beginning of the weekend. By the end of the weekend, we can drive straight through the chicanes and get away with it when the points really matter. That has influenced Craig Brown's championship today. That's unacceptable. Touring car great Jim
1: Richards said he always thought the system was doomed for failure.
7: I could have told them at the start of the weekend that what they had was no way it was going to be any good because, um, you know, two or three cars hit those bollards and they're they were like a solid rubber type, rubbery plastic type thing, and they just sheared them off and they broke, broke away. I mean, you know, it's the old story if you put a great big solid uh, tractor tire there, no one's going to hit it. And if they do, well, well tough luck. But they put these roller things there, and, and towards the end of the, well, the V8 Civico race, guys weren't even going around as you can. They are going straight over the top of them. It was useless.
1: Well, Steve Chobbing, the chief steward, said that they did not have time to put alternate plans in place once the race had started and the system overloaded.
7: There were a number of avenues which were explored. Um, the competition continued. Um, it perhaps continued in a less than desirable form, but it continued in uh, what uh, many people considered was, was entertaining.
1: We hear more from Chief Steward Steve Chopping later in the show on the White Flag lap in Fact. But next, it's James Moffat.
4: News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars.
3: Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.
0: Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
1: James Moffat continues once again here on the V8 Insiders. And James, congratulations. Fourth place finish on Saturday. It just, it all sort of f- fell into place for you and Joey Hand.
2: Yeah, look, Craig, it was, uh, look, apart from Sunday, which uh, wasn't a great result for us, we had a few few issues in in Sunday's race, but up until then, uh, the, the weekend was fantastic for us. And, and like you said, uh, I had Joey hand on board, and he was absolutely top class, uh, very professional all weekend. And you know that fourth result, fourth place result on Saturday was uh, was nice, but uh, I think one more lap, and we might have been up there on the podium and, and getting a surfboard, which would have been even sweeter.
1: Could you have made it if that uh, with that yellow and the fuel that you had in your tank, or? you had to pit even though there was a yellow flag period late in the race?
2: Yeah, no, we, we definitely had to pit. So, uh, you know, all, all those guys that pitted, I guess, at that second last safety car, they were uh, basically all banking on a, a late race or a, another safety car between then and, and the end of the race. And, you know, fortunately for them, they, they all got it. And uh, unfortunately for us, um, you know, the safety car came out. So, you know, in, in a way, the safety car obviously helped us bunch back up Um, to the people ahead of us, and, you know, with the fresher tyres on at the end, I was sort of able to carve my way through the field. So uh, we just ran out of laps, but, you know, at the same time, if if the race had gone green from about halfway through the race, um, I think a lot of those guys um, would have probably run out of fuel anyway. You know, what I've sort of been saying to people is, you know, this year since supercars have allowed the, the winner of the race to do burnouts, um, you know, Jamie's obviously won a few races this year and he's never shy in doing a burnout and uh, I didn't see him do any burnouts uh, after Saturday's win, so that sort of suggests to me that he might have been pretty tight and marginal on fuel, but anyway, it's, it might be the one that got away, but I'm still very proud of everyone at DJR, obviously the last couple of rounds haven't been that kind to us for Philip Boland and Bathurst and, you know, especially after, after Bathurst with the incident with car 17, you know, the teams had to put in some huge hours just to, to get not only, uh, car 17 back on track, but to, uh, to get car 18 ready and in tip-top shape for, for the weekend just gone. So, uh, massively proud of them and all their efforts and, and really, you know, I guess the result on, on Saturday was, uh, very much theirs. And,
5: uh, you
1: know, without them, definitely wouldn't have been been possible. I have to wonder, with uh, your teammate Stephen Johnson having brake problems in the 17, you having the brake problems you have, which look like it would be a casting uh, failure, or a problem with the casting of the uh, disc hats, is that possible that that contributed perhaps to David Biznard's accident up there at uh, Bathurst? No, look, uh, you
2: know, completely separate incidents uh, Craig, we've sort of uh, since since the weekend been able to to trace the cause of our problems, and it's sort of come down to a uh, uh, a material issue, and uh, you know effectively the the wrong material was used in in uh, in the mounting of the of the the disc rotors. So uh, look, we were very fortunate enough uh, for fortunate on Sunday that uh, that that brake problem that uh, started. With uh, Joey in the car was, uh, you know, it was probably a few laps away from being a, a pretty major failure. So uh, we're very lucky to have car eight ends relatively still in in one piece. I think so. Uh, not what uh, not what you want to see, but obviously uh, in this business we're always trying to stretch things to its limits. And uh, yeah, we believe we've sort of found the the cause of the problem, uh, which which is a good thing, but. Naturally, at the same time, it, it's a bad thing that it happened because uh, I think it definitely took away another chance for us to finish in the top in, in the top ten. Because uh, I feel like we had, we had a strong car again on Sunday, so uh, it would have been nice to to have a, a similar result to Saturday and really finish the weekend off on a strong note. But uh, all we can do now is move on to Simmons plains in the rest of the year and, and focus on making sure that uh we don't have any problems like that for the rest of the year.
1: Mm. Now, uh, some of the news I'm hearing lately is they they're talking about taking the uh Sunday lap record uh off. Oh, I can't was that Will Davison that set that record on Sunday? But Yeah,
2: I think yeah, on the last lap Will pulled pulled out a lap time that was uh was pretty quick which probably you know uh I don't think he might have been staying within the guidelines of the track, but to be honest, Craig, you know, from my point of view, it sort of became a bit of a farce. Obviously, it didn't really affect us because uh, we, we were multiple laps down with with the, the brake drama that we had, but, uh, you know, from, from what I could see, uh, yeah, it became a bit of a debacle and, you know, there has been a bit of a suggestion that maybe the lap times from, from Sunday's race shouldn't be considered and, uh, you know... I'm a bit biased towards that because we were able to to grab the lap record on Saturday and feel like we sort of did that legitimately because um you know the the curb infringement rules were still in place with the the timing loops at the curbs so uh if you if you used too much curb and, and triggered the sensor the then that lap was uh was canceled so uh, we I sort of feel like I was able to do that lap legitimately so uh from my point of view I think that the uh, the lap times on Sunday shouldn't be considered because, uh, you know, as our team manager has stated since, you know, um, it was a different racetrack on Sunday and that's for everybody. So, uh, it's, uh, pretty silly to think that, you know, a car can almost go a second quicker than what was effectively the pole time mm-hmm. on Sunday and, uh, you know, that car can achieve a, a lap time a second quicker in, in race condition. It's, uh, pretty unheard of, but, uh, so those people that were watching the race it's pretty obvious to see where the lap time was coming from because uh, you know, if you're just straight lining a chicane that doesn't require much skill, I guess. So anybody can do that. Um, you know, if that's how they wanted to have it, there's no really point having having the chicanes in place, is there? So it'll be interesting to see what they if they can do anything to rectify it for for next year, but certainly I feel the system was working Relatively well on Saturday, and I'm I'm a bit confused as to why the cars didn't just persist with that system because it seemed seemed like it was working properly and seemed pretty fair to me. Mm.
1: Now, uh, of course, the question has to be asked: Could you run around there without the chicanes?
2: Well, I actually, you know, speaking to to Steve Johnson, my teammate, after the race, and uh, you know, like I said, we were sort of already out of the race and. I was running around on my own, still trying to do the right thing and and actually sort of, you know, not use too much of the curb like like we had been on on Saturday. So uh, I was trying not to take the piss, but um, because Steve was in the race, he was sort of forced to, and he said, you know, some of the... uh, Basically, uh, you know, we were running a a gear higher in in both those chicanes, the turn one chicane and the chicane at the back straight. And, uh, you know, you're going... Almost forty or fifty k's quicker through through the the actual chicane. So it makes the speeds that you're then doing around those those sort of uh, circuits pretty dangerous. If you ask me, you know, because you've got no margin for error. Clearly, with the walls being on the edge of the circuit, and um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely don't think you could get away without running the Chicanes, to be honest. It would uh, be rather unsafe.
1: Thanks very much to James Moffat. After the break on the V8 Insiders, Chris Jewell and Tony Whitlock will join me for the roundtable. Controversy Corner is
3: next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders.
4: You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch watched the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing. V8 Supercars, showcasing some of today's best riders and award-winning photographers. V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now.
3: To ask a question of the V8 Insiders, just email them at v8insiders at sportradio.com.au.
1: Hi, I'm Craig Lowns from Team Vodafone, and you're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, well, still on his way back from the Gold Coast, is Tony Whitlock from Race Facts. Good evening, Tony. And the voice of the V8 Supercars is Chris Jewell. Great to have you back on the show, Chris.
5: G'day,
6: Craig. G'day, Tony. It
1: it was an interesting weekend on the Gold Coast. uh, When you talk about uh, this new format, does race number two in uh, this co-driver, international co-driver, sit even more successfully with you, Chris?
6: No, absolutely. Um, I think it was a great initiative in 2010, but this year we had plenty of notice about the majority of the field coming. Unfortunately, there were some last-minute changes, none of which detracted from the event, so... Yeah, look, I think it just made sense. In all honesty, what it, what it confirmed was what we'd, uh, we probably expected the first year, but there's never going to be another time where we'll do it without having an international co-driver in, in every car. I thought it was fantastic. I loved the sound of it. I took a photo of the timing screen in the middle of practice session two because you could have been anywhere around the world looking at those names. You could have been at Le Mans, you could have been at an ALMS round somewhere, you could have been at a World Touring Car Championship round, or you could have been at all three rolled into one, and that's what we had effectively on the Gold Coast.
1: Tony, are you happy It was
8: fantastic. First thing is, though, it's race 22. It's not race 2. It's race 22. The new format of round, no rounds, just events is fantastic, and it's race 22, and it was brilliant. And the great thing was that, in many ways, the field of co-drivers outshone the field of co-drivers at Bathurst. You know, there were less stuff-ups, less mistakes, by people who aren't in the cars regularly. When drivers... okay, it's not Bathurst track, but when drivers talk about at Bathurst, oh, I didn't get enough you know, laps in the place and all those sort of things. Yeah, hang on, you've been driving for a few years. The guys at Bathurst were so professional, it was just fantastic. And talking about guys like Jill DeFerrin, you know, raising topics that, that our drivers don't bring up, you know, professional drivers who, who, you know, analyse what they're doing and what they've got in the car and what they need.
1: It was, to me, still crying out to have a co-driver's race that is separate to the championship because virtually what we saw was a 34-lap race where we wanted people, well, certainly the uh, main drivers wanted those guys to do their 34 laps without getting into trouble so they could race the balance, the 60-whatever laps left. Do, should we have a race, maybe even shorten Saturday's race so you have a 30-something-lap race just for the internationals, Chris?
6: Oh, look, I think we had that, didn't we? Because other than um, Dean Fiori starting on Sunday, in both of the uh, first legs, if you want to call it that, of both races, we had 28 internationals on one day and 27 on the next. But I think I'd like to see more internationals, and most importantly, I'd love to see some of the internationals up against some of the Australians. Can you imagine how good it would be if... Bourdais was leading by 15 seconds and it was Craig Lowndes that was chasing him down and we don't need to have proof of how good these internationals are, we all know how capable they are, but to get into the hearts and minds of the passive V8 supercar and Australian Motorsport Observer, I think that would genuinely confirm the talent of some of these guys and all we really have had is internationals beating internationals and the usual suspects going out to finish the race and there are many ways that can change. simplistically increase the minimum distance from 30% to 40 to 45% or increase it to two stints as opposed to one stint. Maybe you even bring two internationals in, so are there are three drivers per team. There's all sorts of things that can be done, but pound for pound as a second year of a work in progress. Um, I wouldn't change a hell of a lot, but I think perhaps some nominal change next year would be great. And, you know, maybe saying 50-50 each, each driver's got to do 50% of the race, that would be fantastic. Or maybe the driver who starts has to finish the race. That would certainly throw a, uh, a cat amongst the pigeons.
1: Tony, what's your thoughts on it?
6: Oh, yeah, look, certainly, and there are all
8: those different versions you could look at. I, I, I tend to think that they shouldn't mess too much with it. Um, not, not because, it, you know, if they break, go and fix it. Yes, it would be good to see probably them in the cars a bit longer and leave it so that there are the chance that some will actually start the regular drivers, I mean, some of the guys, like Mickey Salos, you know, doing three sevens on Wednesday at, uh, at QR was just phenomenal, In um, a 0 to 100 time, that is. Um, but they showed their value. Joey Hand went 20 laps of of, uh, Queensland, of the uh, track um, with very little aware of brakes. They had massive problems with their bells and the straps breaking and things like that. He demonstrated that, you know, as an endurance driver, he knows how to nurse a car, and that's what the quality of these blokes is. Um, and I think that you want that them to do those sort of things and give them a chance, and I think making them have a longer stint would probably be a way to do that. Mm.
1: Okay. We also had, uh, from the highs of the quality of the international drivers to the lows, the timing loops in the, in the chicanes and obviously the bollards were uh, destined to destruction as soon as the timing loops weren't marking that you'd cut the corner, Tony.
8: Yeah, look, I mean, it's ridiculous we're in this situation. I mean, you know, talk about men in the moon and things like that, but that happened 40 years ago anyway. Um, But, you know, why they're not sorting this out, whether it's larger curvings or whether it's having the sensors going over the back as well, because that was the whole problem, that half the time the cars weren't activating the sensors and just making a joke of it. I mean, it's really sad to... To have seen, for instance, that you know Will Davison gets a lap record, which isn't a lap record. Um, I've actually been told that um, that it may be disallowed, and in fact, we're also talking about very wrongly disallowing James Moffat's lap record because he didn't do anything wrong in doing that. He did a great job driving. He and Joey really put that car there and almost got on a podium, and to take his lap away because of supposedly, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But to have the situation where they are, where okay, we really don't want tire bundles, but the curvings would be better, and they need to have something there. And just, you know, just crazy.
1: Mm. It was interesting because, uh, as you heard in the news, Chris Jim Richards said, "I turned up there, and they said those little rubber bollards were the uh, were the protection or the sighting markers." And he said, "I could tell you that wasn't going to work right from the get go."
6: Yeah, look, we've got enough smart people um, in motor racing to be able to be used as a sounding board before these things actually transpire, and there are you know, global events on street circuits all around the world, many of them being new events. We had a new event this year you know, in the IndyCar uh, race at Baltimore, and they had a chicane on the back straight there which didn't have bollards and didn't have a timing loop, but they had a mechanism to ensure that if the drivers arrived at the next sector within two seconds of their previous fastest time through there. They had to actually slow down to a target time to ensure they didn't gain an advantage. And with in-car communication, pit-to-car communication the way it is now, I think we're trying to dumb it down too much by using old world technology to try and embrace new world thinking. So the bollards didn't work. Uh, I mean the straight line of the chicane made it look pretty impressive and uh, it was the same for everybody and there are judges of fact at every corner. And there are TV replays that can capture potentially most of the field, if not all of the field. So I just think there needs to be some new science applied to it. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that that news that uh, Tony just volunteered there about the lap records, I would agree with the Will Davison one on Sunday because it was just a drag race around a five-corner complex, as Sebastian Bourdais referred to it as. But as for James Moffat's time on Saturday, that's just, that's, that's just bogus. I mean, he deserved that time. He drove like a champion, and it's one of the most exciting things we've seen from a young driver coming through the field in, in many a year. So I wouldn't agree with that one. I think that would be a disgrace if they did that. But time to start getting into 2011 and 12 rather than thinking in the, in the 90s because mm-hmm. the mentality of that was... Uh, it was embarrassing, and in all honesty, to call it as a commentator, to see the timing loop instantly all of a sudden stop working um, and know that full well many drivers had been penalised um, against making error. Um, it was just it was horrible, and for all of the good news that came from that event, all of the good spirit and good feeling, and the people who came to the, to the country on the back of... You know, the dramas of the previous week at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, I just thought it was a tragedy that there was anything that the internationals could take away and potentially talk about as a negative because it was the only thing that was negative. Mm.
1: Well, of course, uh, we'll wait and see how this all transpires. But we do know that the timing loops worked perfectly at uh, Adelaide and they were very, very good at Townsville. So uh, it's just a case of perhaps this one circuit has to have uh, additional work into it to get a system which has proved itself already. Gas and Go is up next here on the V8 Insiders.
4: Gas and Go is brought to you by V8X Magazine. Log on to the official V8X Magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes.
1: Gas and Go, of course, brought to you by V8X Magazine. And, uh, well, the horrendous run for Stephen johnson continues ever since he went on the cover of the latest edition of v8x magazine he'll be hoping the next one out is very very soon chris Jewell, a hong kong street race is this a good market for v8 supercars
4: oh gee at
6: the moment i don't know what's a bad market to be quite honest but uh, it's certainly multicultural and it's certainly a uh you know, a place of riches, which obviously you know fits the V8 supercar bill to a T at the moment. Based on the amount of uh, people who are looking to to secure the the sanctioning and promoting rights for it, hey, why not? Um, you know, we've seen that the Macau Grand Prix for so many years has been incredibly well received and well attended in open wheel and also sedan cars. Um, look, I'm all for it, but gee, I just don't know how they're going to squeeze it in the metropolis. It's a pretty busy, tight place, uh, Hong Kong. So I'd be interested to see the layout of the track before making further comment,
8: mm,
1: Tony.
6: Well, they certainly wouldn't want
8: to try to put V8s on the streets of Macau because (laughs) the BMs just barely fit on there as it is. So they they would not fit. But, yeah, I think Hong Kong would be great, Singapore, all these new places. India, I mean, India this weekend isn't coming. Mm. this weekend in the India the yep. in F1. It is indeed, yep. So let's so, so first look at that and see if uh, they're going to end up there. I mean, Walkinshaw's already got a foot in the door. there, running an open-wheel series. So you sort of think, well, that's probably got to be high on the agenda. Mm, it doesn't. Um, and I think, yeah, all these places. They make far more sense going that direction than going the other way um, because time-wise, it just doesn't fit in with television. And for all these races coming in, there's only one reason that uh, Australia should have a reason to watch them, is because they're going to fit in a time slot that, that works. Um, Abu Dhabi and the Bahrain don't work, but something like Hong Kong and, and are far better.
1: Yep, okay. Tony, international drivers, will we start to see them bumping Australians out at Sandown and Bathurst from 2012 and beyond?
8: Look, certainly a good number of them want to do it. I mean, there are just so many stories of guys saying, for Christ's sake, it's on the bucket list, all sorts of other statements like that. And, yes, I think it will happen. Um, I remember Cochran saying last year that, you know, you couldn't do the three, and uh, I think David Bradman was the only one who actually did. No, John McIntyre as well, I think, did. But um, I think it uh, keep it the way it is for the time being so that, you know, you have the guys who come here and the guys who do those ones. And I'm sure there'll be guys who did the race service this year will say, like, I want to go and do
6: Bathurst. That's what I want. So I've got some experience in the cars, and I think that's a great thing. Chris? Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it would be fantastic to see a greater depth and a more of an international flavour to what happens at Mount Panorama. And I know that could potentially be at the expense of some of the usual suspects in Australia who are have been co-driving for many years and would hope to do so for future years, but in all honesty there were so many uh, local co-drivers who made error during the course of that weekend and many younger drivers who showed them up. Uh, I'd prefer to have uh, some of those names at the mountain, I mean, it's, our, it's our Grand National, it's our holy grail of motorsport in Australia, so why not compliment that with having some of the people we saw occupying time on the streets of Surfers Paradise last, week, last year. I, I think it's, it's crazy to, to prohibit people from doing both of the events and hopefully they can relax that rule at some point. I agree with Tony's uh, thoughts that perhaps you can't have the same driver drive for the same team for more than a sustained period and I think that would help the equation in its entirety. But uh, the mountain's a place for these internationals as well as the Gold Coast and I think it'd be great to see them there.
1: Mm. Now, Chris, who was the international surprise for you?
6: That's a tough one um, because there was too many surprises. I mean, you can go to the back end of the grid and say that the retired de Ferran did a brilliant job because he did. He was exemplary with everything he did, the way he spoke, the way he handled himself, the things that he taught people, etc. But I'd really have to uh, toss a coin at the other end of the field and, and look at the genuine surprises who were in the hunt for podium spots. And I have a tie, a three-way tie between Oliver Gavin, Darren Turner and Joey Hand.
1: Mm, Tony?
8: Uh, okay, the biggest surprise was that Farfus didn't fence it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be fair, be fair. Yeah, yeah, I No, but he, he was always going to be fast. I knew that. And there were, there were blokes at GRM who also were a bit surprised they weren't putting on more panels than they were. But the other one was Pagnot. Pagnot has um, been in the States for some years. He, uh, he's certainly done a great job. He, uh, drove, uh, Porsches, ALMS, and, uh, He's had a brief in, in- rides, and he did a fantastic job.
6: He had been I mean, to the track before, remember?
8: Yes, I know that. I know yep. that. But, I mean, you know, any any of these internationals who've driven on a street track have driven some parts
6: of this track somewhere. That's, you know. And that's why I think it helps the Americans. I was talking to um, a couple of the guys from the States, and they say, look, we race in the same climate. We race in many uh, street tracks. It's not a massive surprise to us to come in and learn a, to learn a street track. So in some yeah. ways... I think what it's showing is that you are probably a better bet to go for some of the Americans uh, on that circuit than maybe some of the Europeans. But then if Bathurst was part of it, it may well be the uh, the opposite. You might find that some of the Americans struggle at Mount Panorama, whereas the Europeans go better. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah. No. Well, you've only
6: got to look at five times Scott Pruitt, who did struggle enormously at Bathurst all those yep. years ago. Many mm. no. more before him uh, with a, a passport from the United States of America as well. Mm. yeah.
1: Now the Gold Coast format is that the best option, Tony, for where, for Texas.
8: Look, the, the great thing about the series is now. I mean, you know, I haven't have a belief you don't get out of bed for anything less than two hundred k's. In fact, three, two three hundred k races, fantastic.
2: I'd um, you in money. <laughs> <laughs>
8: no, not two hundred k, 200 kilometres. You know? <laughs> but um, uh, look. Uh, If you're going to do two drivers in the event, yeah, I mean, it's probably the best way to make it work for America. Mm. You know, I mean, obviously you wouldn't go and do that in Hong Kong, you wouldn't do it in the Philippines or even Abu Dhabi, but in America where there is a glut of drivers there and they can actually plug into some of these drivers and it'll mean that there will be greater television. So yes, I suppose in many ways, you know, I think it's probably got
6: great appeal. Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Let's start there and uh, modify it as, uh, as we see fit. I mean, a lot of the races in NASCAR are on Saturday night. It's to say that perhaps some of these drivers couldn't practice on a Wednesday like they practice at Queensland Raceway and then come back again on the Sunday for a race if, in fact, that's going to be the time for it. So, yeah, it's not about tweaking the format. It's about trying to find a way to perhaps get two or three NASCAR stars into the fabric, and I think that would just be fantastic. Mm. Now, absolutely,
1: Cr- Chris, how will Todd Kelly handle the added responsibility of a commissioner? We know he just handed back some major management rights at Kelly Racing.
6: Yeah, well, it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, John Kel- John, Kelly- John uh, Crennan is now assuming the role of chairman of Kelly Racing to ease some of the pain and pressure that's been placed on both Rick and Todd. But primarily, the, the pressure it's relieving from Rick is a commercial pressure. And that's not been Todd's forte. He's a, he's a tinkerer. He likes playing with trinks at, trinkets and you know, he likes engineering the car and making modifications to things and getting grease under his fingernails. So... The choice of of Todd initially, while um, not underestimating his capabilities as a business operator and owner, because he's done such a great job over the years, uh, it just doesn't seem to be the match made in heaven as far as I'm concerned. And I would have thought that if he... You know, the statement he made some weeks ago when they expanded the role of John Crennan there was to see him go back to being able to focus more intently on the race team has possibly now been diluted by his role in the commission. It's uh, yeah, it's a bit of a strange one as far as I'm concerned. Tony? Yeah, yeah, it is. And unfortunately... Um
8: uh, Todd's been slowly slipping back the grid in fact and, and too often has been the fourth fourth of the Kelly cars to be at the bottom of the list and um, you know he has an enormous uh, record in the past and winning polls and races and things like that and they're ashamed to see and, and you've got to say that they've got to be partially a responsibility of having so much for, you know things to do outside you know the car in the weekend so you know the appointment of Tony Dow is an interesting one you know, brings American uh, a sports car jacket, a sports car, and F1 experience. I think just the, the fact they're adding some senior brain power to the place is going to be a great thing. Mm. And I think that that's going to add, obviously, so that Todd will actually be able to have a role that, you know, will be more advisory in that sense. So you've got somebody there who can actually fill that. You know, clearly Todd needs to increase his, not only his knowledge, his experience but also is clout in V8 supercars, because with a four-car team, I mean, they represent a fair amount of the grid. Mm, that's and right. they've got to have, make sure that they have a say in it, the way it's run.
1: Mm. Well, that's Gas and Go for another week here on the V8 Insiders.
4: Gas and Go is brought to you by the V8X magazine. Log on to the official V8X magazine Facebook page for your chance to win some great prizes.
1: Tony Whitlock and Chris Jewell will join me after the break. Find out
3: more about your favorite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders.
4: You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now.
2: Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders.
1: Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Chris Jewell, the voice of V8 Supercars, and Tony Whitlock from Race Facts uh, with me. And uh, guys, shock horror. Lee Halsworth is going to Stone Brothers Racing. Tony, worst kept secret?
8: Yeah, but I mean, it's done. been done all sort of uh, worthwhile. I mean, I don't know who it was that blurted it. Unfortunately, there's some small publications that don't really think about commercial uh, impact and things like that. But the great thing is going to be seen next year. I mean, wonderful to see Shane win his race this year, see him still sitting third in the championship, and having not only um, Tim in another car there at Stones but then having Lee there it is going to be a real
6: scrap and I'm looking forward to seeing that next year Mm, Chris yeah he brings a lot of skills that aren't necessarily readily apparent Lee uh works incredibly hard away from the scenes of the track. He's always got that ever-present grin. He's probably a, uh, a, a poorer man's Craig Lowndes in some ways, but uh, Lee is, not to be underestimated, unbelievably focused, and already talking about one of the reasons he went there was because of the opportunity to uh, enhance his association on the Back of the Car of the Future program with Stone Brothers Racing. So. Yeah, I'd call him a smiling assassin in the mould of, of Craig Lowndes and would expect that he will give that team a real shake, including the current drivers that are going to be remaining there this year in Shane Van Gisbergen and Tim Slade, because of late, they've been a bit lost, haven't they?
1: Mm, they have indeed. But uh, one thing about Lee is he's very straight shooter. You don't, uh, you don't have to go around, around the mulberry bush to get a very direct answer from him, which is great to see. And it's part of the shake-up we've seen in V8 supercars since Philip Island and Tony's uh, ultimatum that they've got to uh, talk straight and and, uh, don't worry about fines because uh, Tony realises we need to get stories. And uh, I guess that leads into uh, my question. Chris, where are the fans going to be watching V8 supercars in the future? On the television, of course. Well, are they going to be watching it on a TV... (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't have a connection to Foxtel because with the 1HD changes, with the Channel 7, with eight football games to show a weekend, it's not leaving a lot of space on those two networks.
6: Uh, There's a fair bit to shake out, isn't there? And obviously the television rights um, and the renewal of those rights are being talked about intently at the moment. So the hot tip is we'll know by March of next year, so it's not going to be a uh, long-run thing and it's not going to be drawn out uh, you know, to, to, the, to eternity, but um, yeah, look, it's very hard to know. If it stays on Channel 7, you can't expect it to be the current uh, format we see now nor the, uh, the free-to-air stuff we see on Channel 7. It's likely to be a 7-mate production or at least part thereof or there's going to have to be some major changes in V8 Supercar timing as far as the race timing, etc. is concerned, but there is genuine interest from more than one network and uh, while there is genuine interest from more than one network, V8 Supercar remains healthy because uh, they pulled a bit of a rabbit out of hat last time when 7 secured the rights with 10 relinquishing them. So I'll have to wait and see, but for the moment, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's four months in the waiting and four months in the making and the baking, but there are some pretty good blokes uh, being involved in that backroom lobbying, so I'd hope that we still don't have any delineation or, or, or diminution of the current programming we get on Channel 7 for V8 Supercars.
1: Mm, Tony, is SBS yeah. really a viable option?
8: Is I'm sorry. Can they, is what
1: SBS really a viable option?
8: <laughs> no, I don't think so. But one thing is that AFL, uh, the Seven Network have already come out and said of the nine games. Not uh, currently there were eight this year, yep. but next year there'll be nine per week for they are in teams. Um, and uh, they've already said that they're only going to be broadcasting on seven. Four of those games. So the other five have been subbed off. And I believe certainly with Channel Ten not taking them nor HD, 1HD taking him, that they'll be ending up on Fox, which is where uh, Lachlan Murdoch wants them. Being a director of uh, 10 Network, um, he wants some people to be paying for them. And sp- the problem you've got is those four games, Friday night, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night and Sunday. And guess what they'll be coming up against? V8s will have to slot in around them. So yes, as Chris mentioned, but V8s will have to be looking at timings of things to try and make sure that they get... Airtime on the major network certainly Seven Mate gives the option for people to watch it in those areas where they get it, but it's it's obviously going to be a problem. Scheduling will be a, a dynamic uh, that uh, requires real work.
1: Mm. And finally, Tony, what do you think of the calendar? How do you think it's shaped up?
8: Um, look, uh, you know, I, I think it looks pretty good. It's certainly interesting the way in which a few few rounds have moved um, back and forwards. I mean, we in that same thing of winter in August, yes, God, no, it's very cold. Um, and uh, heading north in the mid-year, um, Townsville and then uh, Darwin and the usual sort of places. Um, they've obviously got to fit in um, Texas, which I understand will be in April in 2013. And obviously, there's going to be a new New Zealand, and you know, um, the airport's looking likely. And uh, John Key coming out recently, the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, coming out and saying that. Um, they want the VH to stay there. Now, I think he'll get involved in the situation to make sure it happens. And obviously, that airport base uh, would look a fairly likely one. It all looks right, wonderful. I mean, it's certainly going to be very hard for the crews and teams making it with the cars to those end of year ones running around the way they are. But they've moved uh, Simmons,
6: Sandown gets the 500. I think they're pretty positive, most of it.
1: Mm, Chris?
6: Look, I think what they're doing is it's too late to wait until Car of the Future to make sure the calendar's the way it needs to be. And if there's going to be some pain to suffer based on the timeliness of what goes on with the calendar, then next year is going to be a difficult year. But let's face it: once we move into Car of the Future mode, and once we move into 2013 and 14 with the prediction of 18 races uh, and possibly 20 every two weeks, then. Teams are going to be NASCAR-like. They're going to have three and four cars sitting around as spares because they can, because they'll be cheaper to make. And I think that the, uh, the calendar for next year is the first insight into what's going to be expected of these teams in the subsequent years. And, you know, these cars are going much cheaper. They can, they can fly them around the world if needed, if they need a spare, before they travel to the next international destination or local destination. So I think we're actually reverse-engineering the vision of 2014 into 2012 uh, in order to make sure that these teams have the, the capacity to compete in the right environments to ensure that the, the, the category has got sustainability. So it's not a perfect world and it's not a perfect calendar, not yet, but I still think that um, kicking it off and finishing it in Australia is a fantastic thing and the rest will roll out in accordance with the Car of the Future plans and international expansion.
1: Well, Chris, Tony, always a pleasure to catch up with you guys here on the V8 Insiders. After the break, we speak with Stephen Chopping, who explains in detail what went on when the timing markers went off. I hope you'll stay with us.
4: Hi, I'm Rick
1: Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On the white flag lap this week, well, who better to talk to about timing, bollards and officialdom than Stephen Chopping. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Thanks, Greg. It's, uh, of course, the question that was the hot topic of the Gold Coast, and that is, well, when is a chicane part of the racing circuit? And uh, there seemed to be some confusion across the weekend, particularly Sunday, with the race and a lot of people complaining that there was inconsistencies. Right throughout the race meeting
7: There's the good old Inconsistency word again Craig But um, um, Always the Gold Coast track has been A difficult one to um, Stop shortcutting and overuse of the uh, Apex kerbs In the past we've had the um, Terrible situation of um, Tire bundles being used But dangerous to cars They're unsightly They cause safety cars when they get knocked off course This year um, uh, the, uh, we tried the shortcut loop, or V8 supercars had installed a shortcut loop, uh, which detected shortcuts at turn two at Adelaide, worked brilliantly. They used a bollard to identify an apex, uh, uh, point at Townsville, and that worked well, but the lesson out of this weekend, I suppose, is that there's no elegant solution to an inelegant problem, and that inelegant problem is trying to tra- keep, um, 1,500-kilogram racing cars being driven by uh, very aggressive individuals on uh, a defined section of road, and white-painted lines and uh, apex curbs are not enough to do it. Mm. Unfortunately, the system that was tried didn't work.
1: But it is interesting because the system was successful at two other meetings, so there was an area of expectation that the system should work in this application.
7: I think that the Gold Coast track itself poses so many difficulties that um, uh, the hurdles that were to be encountered by the system on the Gold Coast were just too much to be absorbed without any real further development being available. And unfortunately, it's a bit like a war the development occurs while during hostilities it's not possible to uh, have that sort of development done um, during times of peace.
1: Mm. Well, one of, the, uh, one of the biggest comments was uh, a number of the drivers uh, publicly saying that they felt like there was two rules out there. Uh, some other people, team owners and the like, were saying it seemed like if your car was on television it was being judged differently to if it wasn't. How uh, how did you guys up there? And of course, the uh, the driving standards observer, I guess, is the one that feeds back this information when the when the electronic method drops out.
7: Ultimately, the determination of whether there'd been a breach and what the penalty was for that breach falls to the stewards. We ca- gather in whatever is the best information available, and a lot of that information comes from Thomas as the uh, driving standards observer. Uh, For much of the meeting, the electronic system, which came up on the scoreboard, told us what the problem was, imposed the penalty of uh, a lost time or lost lap, was uh, working quite well and uh, didn't create a problem at all. Once that system proved to be overloaded uh, and was, in one word, uh, that was used, the official word that was used was desensitised, there was no further information coming in from that system. We were then in a position where the identification of what may have been breaches was, was difficult. What we can't see, we can't punish. What we can't establish as a breach of the rules can't be the subject of any penalty. And, yes, to a degree, what goes unseen goes unpunished, but uh, uh, that was a problem that uh, presented itself partway through the race, particularly on Sunday, race 22, uh, and there was just no way round it, unfortunately. And as a result we were in a position where we could really only punish the most blatant examples of uh, what was an overuse of the curbs.
1: Was there any thought that maybe you would uh, have a contingency where an official would go and and get himself positioned in that chicane area where the uh, breaches were uh, seen to be the most egregious?
7: There simply wasn't time to be able to do the sort of briefing and to enable those people to be provided there in, in the uh, time between when it became apparent that the system wasn't working in the way in which it was intended, and the end of the race. And uh, there were a number of avenues which were explored. Um, the competition continued. Um, it perhaps continued in a less than desirable form, but it continued in uh, what uh, many people considered was, was entertaining, Uh, One significant uh, apparent factor was that the cars in Park Firmay at the end of the event seemed to have far less uh, damage to them than uh, is usually the situation at Surfers, but um, it's unfortunate that we were not in a position where all of those breaches which were occurring could be identified, so not all the breaches that other people may have seen uh, were able to be punished.
1: Knowing what you know now, how will you look at surface next year and what will you put in place to uh, compensate for technical failures of this ilk?
7: As stewards, we are reactive and we deal with the information which comes to us rather than be proactive and suggest what is the best means of reporting breaches to us. The good old human factor of of an official on the corner Um, is one uh, thing that can go back to. It would be an absolute shame if we had to go back to the Apex tyre bundles because uh, they really aren't the solution for the problem. Um, There may be a whole range of things. I'm sure that uh, there'll be a lot of minds between now and next year put to uh, uh, devising some form of uh, reporting breaches and to being able to keep the cars on the intended track so that we don't have an unfortunate
1: situation like this year. Mm. We had one other incident between uh, the car, the Fiori car and uh, the Bright car, also during the uh, Sunday race. Is there anything coming out of that uh, from a steward's point of view? Because it did seem like an official at the track, and I don't know what type of official at the track, seemed to signal the driver that he was safe to try and do a flick turn.
7: From the point of view of um, the car re-entering the track, um, which I think was Dean Fiore, um, he was in an area where he was unsighted for him to be able to see oncoming cars and also for oncoming cars to see him. It seems, and uh, there was some uh, footage on television, that the, sig- the uh, marshal on the post signalled him to uh, to come out. He did so, but he did so unfortunately as Jason Bright arrived there. And from the point of view of um, Fiore, um, the only decision that could be made was that um, he wasn't driving carelessly because he was complying with the instruction of an official.
1: Okay, the obvious. briefing
7: of officials is something that needs to be carefully addressed in that area.
1: Mm. Well, it's always interesting times and uh, we know something's going on if you join us on the show. Thanks for your time, Stephen.
7: Thanks very much. Like they say, we live in interesting times and it doesn't matter how long you're around this sport, something new seems to arise at every race meeting. Mm. Thanks, Greg.
1: You're welcome there. Stephen Chopping joining us on the show. That's all we have time for this week on the V8 Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now.
3: Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.